0: Block Talk Radio Black rethinkers,
1: ready to Black we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night? Free spots, we don't walk by space in the lost mind state cause it's not quite safe We don't recruit, we're not peers from a church So don't be spooked, we're not here to convert The only truth is not pulled from a text Show me proof that's not good after death This is the challenge to think for yourself Break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt 310-982 4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982 4273 to get through The next tree branch a trainer and it's best to listen to Reason, science, and skepticism It's loaded with straight facts inspiring and dope She can make real Nye retire with lab coats Humans are hilarious and every other Friday I'd like to hear commentary on culture people I hit up Super Mario and bring in Emmeline To discuss what we're capable of ultra evil It's normal for my brain to have a two-way street But if there's collisions, well then you got to mention it And don't be afraid of where the truth may lead Ignoring your position, attackment is dissonance When Father Teresa preaches, it's hard to stop So Kim paired me up with Alfred in the barbershop I have a extended family and all these places now As the free thought tree pollinates the rainbow here This is the challenge to think for yourself Break it out of the bottle and speak what you feel. 310-982-4273 to get through. A venue for community and this is the zone. If you'd like to speak with Kim, then pick up the phone. 310-982-4273 to get through. Where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night. We don't walk by faith and a lost my face And it's not quite safe.
2: <laughs> hey, Mario. Like?
0: <laughs> That's
3: another another week. I'm glad it's over. I'm glad it's Friday, because I had to put this on.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no! laughs> it was I was like you breathing heavily into the phone. I'm like, why are you being such a creeper, Mario? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, had, I was trying to put my clothes in the uh, washing machine, and I almost got stuck over there for a minute. I
5: had to run back.
3: But anyway, we got a good show. It's going to be awesome. Yes, it's going to be great. great.
4: Well, first, all, no. I want to tell all of our callers that we, um, our, our awesome friends at Compass 120 have agreed to let us host a giveaway on tonight's show. Dig it. We will be giving away some of their promotional um, gear to two of our callers, the very first person to call in once Mario starts taking calls. And then another call that will be randomly selected. We hope though that you guys are not just calling for the free stuff, and that you actually want to discuss tonight's topic with us. Which is, I'll let you tell them what tonight's topic is, Mario.
3: We are going to discuss uh, black authors, you know, and we, we just, you know, and I understand that, you know, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a long list. Probably not going to get to a lot of everybody. Probably not going to get to a lot of your favorites, but it's going to be kind of a smattering of. Secular, and then my favorite fantasy, sci-fi, and stuff like that. So you got a little variety going on here. You'll be, you'll be, you'll enjoy it.
4: Yep, it's going to be awesome. Mar and I are going to go through some of our favorite black authors, and as, as well as, of course, our favorite works by those authors. So um, it's going to be a really good show. And we want all of our liter- liter- literary, inclined friends um, to please call in. And if you want to add somebody that you haven't heard yet who probably may not be on either of our lists, um, Mario, take a deep breath.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> then, then please do call in and let us know who that person is going to be. Um, so um, before we take our first call, I thought that maybe you and I could go through one or two that are on our list before we start taking callers. Um, should I go first or should you? You go know ahead. All righty. The very first person on my list is Alexandre Dumas, um, the the French writer. Um, many people don't know this about Dumas, but he he was black, or to be to be closer, um, more accurate, a quarter black. He had a black grandmother. Um, he wrote many works of fiction, nonfiction, um, but the most popular of his books were. Um, the Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo. And The Count of Monte Cristo is actually one of my favorite Love books. That one. Of like all time. I think it is yeah. the best revenge story that's ever been written. <laughs> like ever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah spoilers, I, I, uh, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I first I first heard about I uh, first heard about
3: it, uh, um, a few times when I was in school and I didn't never get a chance to really read it, and then I saw the movie with Guy Pearce and um, Jim Caviezel, so that made me want to read it myself, and I was immersed in that book, and it's totally different from the movie, but it, it's it's a really, I mean, it's very well written, and um, I don't read too many of the, the old school type books, though, but that one really got in I really got into that one. Yeah,
4: yeah. Um- for those who haven't read the book, I'm, I'm going to give spoilers. This might be your chance to, like, mute the program for a while. Um, but honestly, this is the kind of book that you need to read. I'm probably going to give spoilers about all the books that I like because that's the way that I am. I'm a nerd. Um, but that's no reason for you not to read the book. Please read the book. Um, basically, the overview of it is this. You have um, our protagonist. His name is Edmond Dantes, and he's 19 years old. And he has what the people around him see as the perfect life. He isn't exactly rich, but he's, he is, you know, he's just been presented. Mario, he's still really hard. <laughs> he's been presented with this opportunity to become um, the captain of a ship, and he's engaged this beautiful, kind, young, pretty much perfect package woman named Mercedes. And his friends, the people he thinks are his friends, are really jealous, like green like this was the these were the original haters when the term haters was invented it was in, it was with these people in mind. um He's got this one friend, um, Douglas, who is a treasure of his ship and who envies his success. He's got another friend, Fernand Mondego, who is in love or rather in lust with his fiance. And it's pretty much just envious of how well, um, how well liked Edmond is by the women in the area, period. And then there's Karawus, who is, who pretty much in his mind, Edmond is too lucky. And he envies that. And he somehow got into his mind that his life would be better and he'd be luckier if Edmond was not around. And so the three of them conspire and hatch this scheme. They forge this letter basically accusing him um, of treason. The only issue is the reason why this works so well, even though, like I said, he's well-liked. The reason why some people believe it is because there's a, there's a kernel of truth to it. Um, he's carrying around a letter from Napoleon to a group of Bonapartist sympathizers in Paris. But he was doing this as a favor for a friend, and he had no political leanings but once that letter is drafted against him accusing him and then decided that he's carrying this found on his person he's arrested and he's arrested on the day of his wedding for treason so he gets locked up like like the kind of locked up that makes america's penitentiary system look like a great place <laughs> and he goes oh to yeah
3: name. chateau d'Is. yeah
4: exactly chateau de. Um, it's where the most dangerous political prisoners are housed, and it, I mean there are other types of people there too. But political prisoners were were thought to be the most dangerous people in society, somehow more dangerous than murderers and rapists. So they all went to the Chateau d'If, which is kind of like, um, um, oh gosh, what is that prison in America called that's kind of on an island?
3: Some uh, Guantanamo.
4: No, or oh, no that. Alcatraz. Yeah, Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Yeah. Chateau deep is like Alcatraz, except it's even more removed from um society. And it's in the middle of the ocean. Um it's it's, it's pretty much like your fucked. They don't even bother trying to keep you in because where are you gonna go? <laughs> um, right.
0: Right, right. And,
4: yeah. In prison, um, Emma means Ave Feria. He's an Italian priest, very intellectual man, very kind, very smart. And he's also been jailed for his political views. And he teaches Emma everything. Now, Emma, like I said, he wasn't exactly a richest man. He had a really, he didn't come from, he came from humble beginnings. And I think this is one of the reasons why his friend thought he was the most lucky person ever. Because, you know, at such a young age, he's already captain of a ship. He's married to a great woman. He's got this career success. But he never really had that much of a formal education. And um, Ave Faria kind of te- takes him under his wing, teaches him history. Um, other languages, um, philosophy, science, astronomy, Um, he becomes so cultured and educated and learned. And what happens is um, he really grows to think very highly of Edmond, and he has a map, a very large treasure map that's um, a treasure hidden on the island of (laughs) And he gives it to Edmund and tells him, you know, go find this if you should ever escape because he's not hes not even thinking about escaping anymore. Albie Ferria is seriously old and very ill. And back then, if you catch cold or pneumonia in prison, which was very common, um, they're not going to take care of you. Like, prisoners don't have medical rights. <sighs> um, so um, Edmund realizes the day that Albie Faria dies, um, that like, this is my chance to escape Because what they would do is They would take the prisoners, you know Put them in a burlap sack, Tie the bag up and toss it out to sea And so um, he put Abe Ferrier on his cot And, um, um, you know, after they tell him to put the body in there He gets in there himself And they toss him out And thinking that he, and Ma is just sleeping in their cell They toss him out the prisoner who's alive, this map, he ends up going to this island, finding this treasure. Long story short, he comes home after so many years. I don't even remember how many years it was. But I think it's about the same amount of time that Andy spent in Stock tank Prison, which was like, I think, 19 or 20 years, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, no, it's longer because Mercedes did marry the friend who was in love with her um, after Edmond went to prison, and they had a son who was like in his early 20s. And he comes back as the Count of Monte Cristo, and none of his sons recognize him, and he pretty much ruins them. Like I won't, I won't tell you, I won't spoil that bit. But he l- destroys everything that they built, basically on his, by destroying his good name and ruining his life. It's it's definitely the best thing. like the best revenge story that's ever been told.
3: Yeah, I I truly enjoyed it, especially when you tie it in with the movie and you you see I mean obviously no movie completely does a book justice, but it just it was just engrossing. I've watched it several times since reading the book. And yeah, there are a lot of differences, but a lot of the stuff, you know, when you have a visual to connect to it, it gives it a little bit more weight. Like one of the things uh, uh like uh, uh Count Mondego, when um when he's setting him up and he, um Edmond uh, uh, um, is wondering why are you doing it. He's like because you're the son of a clerk, and I shouldn't want to be you. And you know because exactly. yeah because he's an aristocrat. Exactly. He's,
4: he's, exactly. Um, the friend that ends up marrying his his fiance later on after he goes to prison is rich. Um, right. The friend, the, the friend who was um who he grew up with, who was a treasurer of 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 his ship, was just um was was pretty much just they paid him as the most jealous of the three and the third one who's who's jealous of his luck is just lazy <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. why he's in the position in. but they somehow how managed to blame him for all of their power and it comes to light later on too that the friend claiming he was in love with Mercy, mercedes was only in love with her quote unquote because edmond had her and that made her like he had to have her because his friend had her um, the, the problem with them is, and this book illustrates this so well, the problem was never him, but their dissatisfaction and discontent with their own lives. And so they somehow managed to scapegoat him for all of their own internalized issues. Right. So, yeah, definitely that's number one on my list. Who's the first author and book on your list?
3: All right, um... I'm gonna start off with uh, someone who you know I quite admi- admired um, when I uh, when I first started reading because um, I used to read a lot of uh, non I used to read some nonfiction but I was really into fantasy and I read a lot of dragons and stuff like that so I watched uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I enjoyed B- Buffy the Vampire Slayer I thought it was, it was quite a good good movie but. You know, when you think about a lot of these shows, even to today, you don't see a lot of uh, people of color playing prominent roles in in these shows. You know what I'm saying? You don't see them really um, being anything other than side characters who may or may not make it through the entire season. So, consequently, years ago when I ran into L.A. Banks, also Leslie Essendale Banks, if I'm pronouncing that right, I ran into a a book of hers called Minion and I started reading that and it soon blossomed into an entire series about 12 books and basically if you want to make it simple it's a black uh um um it's a black Buffy the vampire slayer but it has a black heroine, a, a black almost all black cast with some latino th- 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 Latino, th- thrown latinos thrown in um there's even a few native americans and you have the over the span of 13 books an entire mythos created which you have vampires and you have they incorporate um she incorporates dante's inferno in there um the seven layers of hell and even heaven heaven layers and you know, um, you have this this young naive girl who be, begins to realize that she is has all these powers. She has a, a tattoo on her back called the Sunkofa and that she realizes she learns that she's what's called a Neteru. And um, I have to, um, after you get into the further into the book, you begin to realize that all of these people are playing incredible incredible parts. Each one, each one have different beliefs. You know, there's there's Jews, there's Christians in there, there's some people who believe in Zen and, and natural uh, natural energies and stuff like that. One book even goes into chakras and stuff like that. And at this at this point in time I wasn't quite a non believer, but I was really interested in how well thought out all this stuff was and all these different mythologies and all these different religions. He even incorporates some um um uh uh um Templars into it, and you got the so you got her dealing, her and her family fending off zombie attacks because they, not zombie attacks, but vampire attacks because the vampires want to take over this world and everything, and you got them using different methods, uh, from religious um, from from religion to defeat this stuff, you know, and it's not just one thing that defeats them; it's different things, and um um. Um, the hell layers. I mean, you got it goes into from just a, vamp, a evil vampire council, and these are these are people who are these are vampires that have been been alive since Roman days, who feed off human misery and stuff. And you, in the later books, it gets into uh, um, Lilith and even Satan and stuff. It, it they go into such so many different kind of different areas, but it has this it has it kind of has this hip hipness. You know, because mm-hmm. like I said, you don't see you don't see a lot of this stuff in um in a uh, um mainstream movie media. You still don't. I mean, this I was reading these books in uh mid you know maybe two thousand five, six, seven, eight, something like that. And to this day, you still don't see a lot of uh, African Americans in in um sci-fi movies playing important roles. You know, um, exactly. we were talking. We, we were arguing about the recent movies, like like uh, twelve Twelve Years a Slave and other movies, and it just I can't get into those things because I need I see so much it's like we I don't know if we did it to ourselves or whatever, but we're pigeonholed into two three c- categories. And so when I read books, I, I purposely search out books with sci fi, fantasy written by African American, all, all women. So mm-hmm. this right here just it is incredible. Did she went into other books and did she did the same thing with uh uh um I think it says Never Cry werewolf. And this involves um um uh, a female heroine named Sasha Trudio who's um begins to realize she's actually descended from werewolves and whatnot and so you got pretty much another element of evil and she I mean this is this is one thing when you watch um true blood you see all this random ass shit in there and everybody just has to be something else but in these books right here when i was reading these books i she went from native american uh, um ancestry and the descendants a lot of these um um how um a lot of these mythicisms fit into native american histories and stuff like that and even included far off um mysteries uh, mysteries, and myth- mythologies like the Fey and other stuff like that. And so you have these different realms and you have werewolves and you have vampires and you have all this stuff going on and all these things are vying for dominance over this earth and over the world and everything. But at the central point you have a strong um, female heroine of color who is not outline. She's not a pretty girl on the side waiting for somebody to save her. She's actually in the thick of it fighting off these things. And you you just don't see it very much. And so check her out. Um she tragically she passed away a few years ago due to some um I can't remember what melody it was, but it was something that struck her pretty quick and then she died before I I, I, I used to call, correspond with her on Facebook at hope to meet her at DragonCon and she passed away before I could, so
4: uh I'm sorry about that, but definitely, I will check out that series um before I go to my next um author and book, I wanted to know do you have any callers on the line?
3: We have one uh, I thought that was waiting for you you know I thought you, said you wanted let's to take' them.
4: that's that's that will be our first winner too
3: okay, and uh technically. He cheated because he'd be on the line for like ten minutes and shit, but it's all good. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: so who's on the line?
3: Uh, hold on a second. All right, four seven eight, you're on the line, and um, one quick thing. There were technical difficulties with setting up the uh, the chat room, so that's good. That's going good now. So, click in and talk to us. But
5: four seven eight, holler. What's
0: up?
4: Hello, who's speaking?
5: This is Tim.
4: Hi, Tim. You're our first winner.
0: What? Oh, it's Tim and Ayanna too. We won. <laughs> is that Ayanna? Yeah. What? We won. <laughs> you won. <laughs> what, what do we wear?
5: Okay, um,
4: mm-hmm. You guys, you guys won one of the promo shirts from um. Compass One Hundred and Twenty, and they they sponsored our giveaway tonight, and you're winning one of their awesome secular T-shirts.
0: All right, right. right. one of my favorite
5: companies.
4: <laughs> mm. All right, before Mario and I tell tell um you guys our our next picks. Um, would you guys like to contribute to the discussion? Who is your favorite author on um, Black author, and which book is your favorite of oh, theirs? We
5: were just discussing that, and uh, actually, my, I guess my first introduction to a black author had to be Alex Haley's Roots.
4: Oh, that's was, on my list. <laughs> <laughs>
5: that, and that was a very long time ago when I read the book, and, uh, but uh, it introduced me to words like griot and, uh, you know, the African storytellers who pretty much told the story of Kunta Kinte. And uh mm-hmm. how he was stolen from Africa.
0: Yep. And so yep. that
5: was uh that was probably my favorite book. We were also discussing uh, Beloved as well. We both read that book and uh and we thought that was Beloved kind of was
4: kind sad. Of, I read yeah, that it was, and I was crying for days afterwards.
5: It was kinda of, it was kinda of strange and scary kind of and incredible. horrific and all of that.
4: Yeah, 11, I, I definitely. What? on. But let put
0: twelve years of play to to shame almost in the the very graphic brutality in that book and in the movie.
4: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, I actually felt the same way about both Roots and Queen by Alex Haley. That was the first time that I read such graphic violence in a non fantasy fiction realm. Before, um, I read those books and I was like. Thirteen or fourteen, and I remember reading it, and I remember the scene when um, the overseer cut off, or who would it, I think it was the overseer and the slave catcher, they cut off Kunta's um, foot, and I just I remember reading that, and like a uh, shock yeah, went through my that. body. Just um, and I'm thinking to myself, how does a person even think of doing that to somebody? <sighs> wow. Yeah, it was.
5: Slavery was a cruel, cruel institution, and, you know, even, uh, you know, I, I hate to even hear the comparison now, and I, although I've done it myself, I hate to hear the comparison of, oh, oh, this is slavery and that's slavery. No, slavery was slavery.
4: Yes. <laughs> it's like, you I don't know? understand why this is hard. You can't just call arbitrary things that that, you know, cause you not to get your way. Slavery, you can't call laws that you don't agree with. Slavery, taking away Uh, your free will is slavery.
5: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Slavery was slavery. Nothing else is slavery, and nothing is like slavery
4: but slavery. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. uh, I I think I remember um, Sarah Palin, like queen of stupid sayings and quotes, coming on air and saying, you know, um, under President Obama and Obamacare, it's like slavery. And I'm like, is she serious? <laughs> Giving people health care yeah. is slavery? You know slaves didn't have healthcare, right? Right, yes.
5: Don't get me work off of on uh recent, don't don't get me off on recent politics. You know, because uh, it, I, you know, thinking about Never mind. I'm not even going there. I'm
4: gonna to stick to, the room. <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely. Oh, Alex James is on my list. so I'm glad you you brought him up, um, and Toni Morrison as well. I, I I feel that they they wrote in an era, though, and I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but they wrote in an era where people were more receptive to hearing things like that. I feel like nowadays we live in the Tyler Perry generation. By that, I don't just mean that he's making movies when we happen to be alive right now. But black people particularly want to see comedy and a lightheartedness around um, black culture, even if we're we're kind of still living in the lingering remnants of slavery and Jim Crow.
5: Yes. Uh, another, in, to switch uh, subjects in, into another book, uh, Another book that I really enjoyed was Devil in a Blue Dress. Oh
0: uh, yeah.
5: I, I, okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. I saw that movie with uh Denzel Washington. I thought it was pretty funny.
5: Yeah, that. Oh and and uh was it Don Cheadle?
4: Yeah,
5: Don uh, Oh, he yeah. played the perfect yeah. house. That was yeah. I love one, Don uh, Cheadle. Even book.
4: even at his best he's always underrated and I hate that.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was he was the perfect mouse. I mean, that was the guy. When I was reading the book, and I saw the movie, I said, "What well, you know that was that was the guy that I saw in my mind in the book."
4: Yeah, he, he, um, played, the
0: part,
5: he played the part perfectly.
4: I've never seen him not play any role perfectly. I remember um, I saw him in Hotel Rwanda and then in Crash, and you know it was seamless transition. And um, Shatua El Jafour, who is in Twelve Years a Slave i I've been watching him in various films for like the past five six years. Nobody knew who this guy yeah. is, so people still don't know how to pronounce his name, <laughs> and it's like finally now they realize, hey, this guy exists. He was in that movie twelve years Slave.
3: yeah, uh that guy has done a wrong record. I first saw him in uh Four Brothers, but then i saw when it, when I saw him in um Serenity and then it was another movie he was in that this he just has – He was in – he, he, he was, in he was a, a of men. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. He,
0: they,
3: they don't – Yeah, and I, I don't know if it, it's the same way with that dude who played Adebisi on Oz and forever that dude is named Adebisi because I cannot pronounce his name for nothing. But I guess – Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
4: I, – I know who you're talking about. And, and, and unfortunately for him, he keeps getting podcasts as yeah. a brutal African. And it's kind of sad but, I mean, he gets a paycheck, but still, it's kind of sad. He's been typecast in that role as, like, the brutal African. Um, like, the mean African thug and criminal. I mean, everybody but, has uh, their role to play, I guess, but I wanted to see him in other things, and he never really transitions that well.
3: But with John, Don Cheeto, the first time I saw him was um, he was in that, that, uh, uh, that movie. It was, uh, I think it was an HBO movie with Eric LaSalle, uh, The Legend of Earl the Goat Manago. And um yeah, he was, he played the hell out of that. It was uh yeah. it was pretty deep.
4: We have some we have quite a few black actors that are still underrated. I still don't think Don Cheadle gets the sort of shine that he should no. have.
3: No, he does. Um, he does not.
4: I mean, um, I think Denzel's career was pretty much made when he was when he played Tom Hanks' lawyer in Philadelphia. And from then people were yeah. saying that he was a star. So even if he didn't do the very best job, he was still loved. Like honestly, um, between between Philadelphia, um, there were so many movies that he did that I didn't like up until Training Day. He said, "Denzel, I don't, I'm, I'm not feeling him at all." <laughs> oh my god! But training Day Denzel, Training Day Denzel made me like sit up and pay attention.
3: <laughs> yep.
0: Okay, guys, we're going to have to go over here in just a second. I wanted to just throw out a couple more names as part of uh, black authors. I think Tina, McElroy, Anza's, um I can't even think of the name of the book, but it came out when I was in high school and it, like, made the biggest splash. I think it was The Hand I Fan With.
4: Mm, and okay.
0: I remember that book being just, like, the most bizarre piece of literature I had ever read up until that point, and it was about a woman having an affair with a ghost. What? I remember. And Now, granted, I was in high school at the time, and I remember it being so well written, and I was just like caught up in this book. I didn't want to put it down. I think she okay, is so,
4: probably.
0: Inquiring minds want to know, did she and
4: the ghost live happily ever
0: after? You know, I don't remember. I, I really don't remember, but I know. No, they it
5: was, died it was, happily ever after. It was very graphic. <laughs> <laughs> they died
0: happily ever after. And, um. <laughs> Yeah, she's, making, she's she's out of making uh, Mario. So I don't know if if um, you're familiar with her, but she's got several projects in the work, and I think that she's. I don't know. I I don't think she gets enough credit. She's got several books out. They're almost along the the same the same kind of work as like um, what's the name? Who wrote uh, Still How Stella Got Her Zoo Back? kind of along those lines, more contemporary mm-hmm. fiction. But, you hmm. know, decent, she writes decent books. And then I think um, Toni, Morrison, Toni Morrison wrote a book that I had never heard of until maybe a year ago called A Mercy, which is a wonderful, very well-written book where um, it, ta- it deals with several different characters. It's post-slavery. no, no. It's in slavery but it deals with, uh, it looks at slavery from several different points of view through several different characters' eyes. There's a Native American character that's very prominent in the story, and I can remember it it reading almost like poetry. It was such a good book. Wow.
4: Wow. Um, Thank you for that contribution because I had never heard of that book either. I think even when an author is really popular, people kind of get caught up in their most popular books and don't really read The, the, you know, anything else that doesn't have that much notoriety.
3: Right, right, so I,
0: right. Thank
4: you so much for calling you guys. And, Tim, congratulations. Um, although I'm pretty sure that shirt is going to be ordered <laughs> for Ayana, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, thanks so much for calling you guys. Okay, you.
5: it's all pleasure. Bye. All right, bye.
4: That Alrighty. was
5: pretty cool. pretty
3: cool. That
4: was cool. The next author on my list um, goes by the name Edwidge Danticat. She's actually Haitian, so um, I feel extra kinship with her. I think she's super-duper awesome. Um, she's written tons of books and gotten tons of awards. She's been getting these awards since 1994, um, Best Caribbean Writer, um, you know, all kinds of American Book Prize, et cetera, et cetera, um, she's written quite a few books today, and a couple short stories. And she's even worked as um, a writer on a couple of films. But um, her her most popular work is actually, I think, one of her best. I mean, there's another book, "The Farming of Bones," by her, which I love. But my absolute favorite is actually a collection of short stories, and it's called "Creek Crack." Um, Creek clock is um, something that Haitian storytellers start telling stories with, like, um, you know, when, when they're about to get into a piece of gossip or they're going to tell some folklore, the storyteller says creek and the audience says clock, and they start the, then they start telling the story. Um, and the creek clock contains nine stories, and it also has, like, um, an epilogue. And stories do not overlap at all. They're separate stories But to, cohesively They tell something very, very beautiful And very, very tragic About the things that Haitian women In various um, situations Have to go through The stories take place in The Wolves um, Port-au-Prince And in, in Haiti And in New York, New York um, mm-hmm. There, There's There's all kinds of stories. There there are two um, nameless narrators involved in this. Um, Like some of the best stories, for instance, um, there's a wall of fire rising about um, a man and woman and their son who live in a one-room shack Um, and, you know, the way that they live um, and their life is okay for a while. I'm living on the plantation, but then they have to deal with um, the father passing away. Um, There's Night Women, a story about a prostitute who, um, you know, she lives in a one-room shack as well, and she um, has to perform her profession next to her young sleeping son's bed. Um, um, You know, she tells him that she's getting she's putting on her makeup to go to sleep because she's waiting for an angel to come. Um, she's worried that one day he's going to wake up and find out. And her, the only thing she has to be thankful for in her life is that she sleeps very, very deeply.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, yeah. Um, there is, you know, um, a- another story about a woman who loses her son while on a boat Coming from Haiti, um, trying to come into this country illegally as immigrants um, There I mean, there are quite a few stories And they all revolve around Haitian culture And Haitian superstition And some of the things that Haitian women had to go through um, Living in the United States and living in Haiti in poverty I absolutely love this book And Ruijante Khan is an incredible Everything she says kind of jumps out from the page with such vividness and clarity um I, I highly recommend every everything that she's ever written um definitely
3: definitely um, for nervous. those um, like if yeah if,
4: if if you're if you're if you're seeking a, a story more about life on plantations and things like that I would recommend The, the Farming of Bones the only reason it's not one of my personal like total favorites, is just how hard the book is to get through. It can be so painful to read sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but The Flamingo Bones is an excellent book as well. And I believe that one um, was getting converted at one point to a screenplay. I'm not sure what happened to that. But Quick mm-hmm. Clock and The Farming of Bones, um, if you're going to check out Edwidge Danticat, um definitely check out those two books.
3: Dig it. Dig it, dig it. Sounds interesting.
4: Mm-hmm. I like that. So who's next on oh. your list?
3: Uh, now I'm probably not pronouncing her name right, but I I, I pronounced as Tanana Reeve Do. And um, she she's she's a writer who's uh she's done a a a, a, a of different things, but the things that that really caught me, I think, I believe this was the first book. Um. The Living Blood, and originally when it started off, it started off kind of slow. But but it began to get into something that I hadn't, I had, you know I hadn't considered before, and it it was um, it, um no my soul to keep was number one, my bad the Living Blood was number two, and Blood Colony is number three. So that's the trilogy right there, and what you have is because the, the subtitle is called African Immortals. And you have, uh, it starts off this woman is married to this guy. And um uh, starts off with this guy going to, an I think it was an old folks home or something like that or something and euthanizing this old woman. So, flash forward now, you're at the, the house, and there's uh, this woman's married to this guy. And there have always been strange things about him. And uh, there's a cop trying to figure out... Uh, um, Uh, investigate a lot of things that's going on that's weird and everything like that. He's not a murderer, but there's something odd about the fact that there's a photo of him taken and if I remember this off the top of my head, nearly uh, 100 years ago. And um, he keeps saying that's his uh, ancient relative of his. Turns out it's not. He and a a sect of uh, uh, certain guys live doing Jesus time and this these 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 explanations come throughout this this trilogy, and I haven't read the third book yet, but the um- basically somehow or another they ingested Jesus' blood and they made them immortal and so they literally cannot die they just they age. they there's an incredible sect of these guys that live in an ancient remote uh um temple area in uh um I think it's Africa, and they have learned through eons of knowledge. They learn incredible things and channel their bodies in such a way that uh, that they're becoming almost God-like themselves. And uh, meanwhile, you got her dealing with the, dealing with what's the weird odd, oddities going on. And in later books, her daughter, their daughter, begins to take on these powers as well. And it it just it just delves into a lot of mythologies and it takes the idea of the immortal into a whole another set he's not supernatural that he doesn't have any magical powers or anything like that but his daughter has de- developed te- uh, um, telepathic abilities based on the fact that you know her father is part partly a god or something and and you got this other cult who want to take over um um who have uh, nefarious ideas in mind and it it just it just delves into um um crime drama and they're partly a supernatural thriller and it just span you know they just go all over the world and everything and it become it be- it gets very engrossing and I plan to start reading book three as soon as i can so mm-hmm. that's time of rude do and you start off with my soul to keep
4: Now... By reading, you're talking about that audio book nonsense, are you, Mario?
3: Man, you know what? I can't listen to an audio book, man, because it's something about somebody reading something to me that really turns me off. So I, I can't do it. But um, and I'm still kind of a traditional paperback, but uh, person. But I'm not a purist. So yeah.
4: Okay. All right. Just so we're clear, reading means moving your eyes.
3: <laughs> yeah. um,
4: okay, um, before I get to my next, the next author on my list, is there anyone else on the line right now?
3: Viva C and no, No one is on the line. I, suppose, I thought Danielle and, Danielle and someone else would have been calling in by now.
4: Right. We'll see. Um The next author on my list is Dolores Phillips. Um, She is not that well-known. She isn't. Um, But, man, her book is mind-blowing. I honestly, and I'm going to be real with with you right now, this book, her debut novel, The Darkest Child, which is my favorite from her, what honestly I feel like if she published this book, Um, Around the same time Toni Morrison had published The Bluest Eye, people would be quoting her on Facebook and not Toni Morrison. (laughs) Um, It's amazingly well written. The book basically centers around a young girl growing up in 1950s rural south. Okay. um, um, I can't even... I, I can't even. The, the the protagonist in the story, her name is Tanji Mae. She's 15 years old, and her mother calls her ugly because she's dark. As the, the, and as the mm-hmm. title of the book leads you to believe, she is the darkest child. Mm-hmm. Her mother is light-skinned and has, quote-unquote, good, nearly straight hair. All of her siblings have different fathers. And um, her mother you know, is promiscuous, a chain smoker, drinker, very, and on top of that, she's very physically, psychologically, and verbally abusive with her children. But like all abused children, they, they feel this kind of sick um, loyalty to her because that's the only parent that they know. Um, and Tanji Mae is, is bright. She's very smart, and um, you know she isn't the oldest, but she behaves in such a manner that you know you would think that she is. And the book has other fringe um, issues, like it deals with um, you know the black family dynamic of of a man having children outside of his marriage. Um, one of her siblings. the father of that child turns out to be the husband of her mother's best and only friend. Um, It kind of deals with homosexuality in the black community as well. Tanji May's older sister is revealed to be a lesbian. Um, And, you know, you kind of deal with kind of the hardships of having to grow up in that environment where the person who's meant to love you the most is the one constantly judging you and telling you that you're not good enough. And then we learn also that... Um, Her mother sees this men for money, and, um, you know, there's there's quite a while there where um, her mother has her um, working as a prostitute as well and pimping out her own daughter. And when she refuses to do it any longer, her mother threatens her by, you know, saying, if you don't do it, then I'm just going to have your sister do it, her youngest sister who's eight years old. So um, she kind of pins her daughter out and blackmails her into, keep into doing this. And again, this is the 1950s. It's the South. There's, they're black. Like, what authority are you going to go to? Who are you going to tell? Where are you going to turn to for help? Um, the Darkest shot is so raw and so real with how it lays out the way, the thought process of an abused teenager. And it's so graphic in the freaking, so many things that Tanji May had to go through that it's one of those books that's very hard to read, but it's also a very quick read. I think I read this book in about eight, nine hours. I was so engrossed in it. I I I felt like there was nothing more important that I could or should be doing other than reading this book. It, like It's amazing. It's brilliant. Um, I read it once more after that, and I got some more out of it, but two was all I could do. I couldn't read the book a third time. It was just, there were so many elements that were just too painful to swallow. Um, but that family dynamic is one that's almost never talked about. And I absolutely loved, loved, loved Dolores' full of storytelling Um You know, she wrote this book pretty late in life. She's not a young woman by any stretch of the imagination. And this book debuted, I believe, in 2005. But if it took her 20, 30 years to write this. Those were 20 or 30 years very well spent. I think very, very highly of this book. I would recommend it to anyone.
3: Okay. um, Wow. that, That sounds like some heavy material.
4: Oh, but a lot of good books
3: are. Yeah, a lot of good books are. Especially if you can begin to identify with the plight of the uh of the of the person in the book. Especially, you know especially when it's based on real life. You just get kinda you know, it beca- you begin to get like uh connection to the uh to the person in the story. I like that. I really do. So uh, I guess i thought my next one. And um, this one right here is it has something, an element to it that may be a bit controversial. You know, um, oh, while I'm thinking about this, because I have a very short attention span, uh, let me mention something. The books I mentioned with L.A. Banks have some good
4: sex. How could you forget the sex, Mario? God, what are you doing? <laughs>
3: <laughs> so uh this is uh this is your little warning that I'm about to go into something that might be a little bit deep right here, so So check this out. The book is called um 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 shit, Fledgling. And it's written by Octavia Butler. Now Octavia Butler Octavia Butler. Butler. Is, yeah, she's done quite a few stories. Uh, I'm still working on um, the Xenogenesis saga, but she is a black woman who does write sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that, and it's it, it's great. The the book that I, uh, that I first caught up on was Fledgling, and Fledgling tells this tale of, you know, first of all, it's a 53-year-old vampire, and she wakes up, with a bit of amnesia, wondering where she is and what's going on. And the first thing she does is kill a deer and he eats it. She goes through a process of regeneration. Um, she um she's lost in this woods, she eventually meets this white dude because he's a young black chick. And um she meets this white dude who is helping her piece together what is going on with her history and she finds out that she is part of a colony of of immortals. Um, who you may consider them vampires, I believe they were, um, who uh, um, they live in their own communities, their own sect, sex and stuff like that, and somebody's killing these people. And so you're, she's trying to help figure out the mystery and also unravel the history of her past. Now, keep in mind, she's 53 years old. In the book, the way she's described, and the way the guy, the white guy who begins to fall in love with her, sees her, she looks like she's about 10 years old. She's described as being in to the vampires a young a young a young woman. You know, to them she is mm-hmm. she's old enough to be to be doing these consensual sexual acts. There are some sex scenes, but wow, when describing her, she looks like a 10-year-old girl. But she's uh, a 53-year-old vampire. Made me make sure. I, it, I feel some, made, some kind of way about
4: that. This is so interview with a vampire right now. Yeah, it, it I mean, it, it, there's it
3: that scene you know, where
4: Kristen Dunst kisses um, kisses um, Brad Pitt, and I feel some kind of way about it. I'm like, I know this kid looks to be like old as hell, but I'm looking at this <laughs> child and she's eight years old right now.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, and um, it it it. it <sighs> I put myself in the mind of uh, um, put myself in the mind of the uh, of the book that I'm reading. You know, I tried to identify with the world that I was in, and so I try to step back from my real world sensibilities and look at it from the fact that in this world, this child is older than most of the people around her, despite her appearance. And you see her carrying out acts in the book. That are, I mean, she's a, she can fight. She kills several people in the the book in defense of others and stuff. And um, she has more knowledge than the guy who theoretically saved her and whatnot. And so, um, Mm. but at the same time, she is, she is a, uh, um, she does, if in the real world, if if this was real, and I was looking at her, she would look like she was 10 or 11 years old. So... I, I gave the book a lot of props for going so far afield that it made you kind of stop and think about this because you know it just it was such an that was you don't see a lot of origin originality in a lot of books especially when it comes to genre books there is a lot of cop if you for any example go down the paranormal romance aisle and there are so many books that look exactly the same it's like what's the point of reading all these but. Um, that was those that, that was that was quite that was quite an impressive book though. Cool. Holy, uh, sounds good. Sadly, sadly she died before she could write a sequel, and this is one of those books that needs a sequel. I don't think you could ever do a show in which Amer- Americans, I mean people, we would accept a ten-year-old girl killing and having sex, even if they say point blank, this chick is fifty-three years old.
4: Well, like, we could get an old woman who's in her 20s, like Judy Garland was, in The Wizard of Oz, and we can all pretend she's 12. I mean, it worked in The Wizard <laughs> of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this chick had me, thinking, uh, had me honestly thinking that she was 12 years old. Like, I don't know. I, yeah. I think it takes a special kind of talent to pull that off. Because I want, if I freeze anything in that movie, I'm just thinking to myself, why is this grown woman wearing that dress?
3: Right, right. Right. And um and I'll tell you brother, she she has a, has a lot of books and stuff and the ones um you should read, check that one out and um especially the Xenogenesis Saga which um which is uh is so far from what I've been reading is it's quite good. It's involved. It's uh it has you know, it doesn't have carbon copy. It, it this is more of a sci fi novel. It takes place in space after the end, you know, Earth has been destroyed, and so the aliens are helping humans repopulate the Earth, and it goes, and it's pretty good. You should check that out as well.
4: Okay. Awesome, awesome. Um, the next book on my list is, well, the next author on my list is um, Cupcake Brown. Yes, that is her real legal name, Cupcake Brown. Um she only wrote one book, a memoir, but it's incredibly well written. She's actually a lawyer, but this book that she said she felt so compelled to read, I felt so I felt so compelled to write. I felt so compelled to read. Um, when I first when I first saw it, Because the cover alone, you know, the author's name is Cupcake Brown. That alone was already quite intriguing. And then I got to read the book in two pages, and I was hooked. I think I read this book over the course of one or two days, and it's incredible. Um, Brown pretty much had the perfect childhood, um, which was very rare for black children, even at the time, around the time that she was a child. She was born in 64. But, you know, she had a little brother, loving mother, loving father, um, perfect, happy, um, middle-class American, two-parent household. Then her world gets turned upside down. Her mother, who suffered intermittently from seizures her whole life, died choking on her tongue during her sleep when she had, you know, in one of her seizures at the time Cupcake was 11 years old. And then what happens there is just a windfall of like, like you know the series, a series of unfortunate events? This is the original series of unfortunate events. Um, come to find out after her mother dies, yeah, come to find out after her mother dies, that her father, the man who's been raising her all this time, is not really her father. Um, um. Now, mind you, her parents did get a divorce like a, about a year before her mother died, um, but you know her child, her father was still paying child support, and he saw them regularly, like three, four days a week. He was, you know, over there. Like there were no issues with. Having a relationship with her father But after her mother died She came to find out that this man is not really her father And on top of that He knew he wasn't her father this entire time And her mother had never had to pursue for child support He paid child support willingly for her and her brother Because he loved them so much But he would never legally adopted them Because um, her biological father had never um, relinquished his parental rights And as a result when her mother died this man who she who had anything to do with his two children and wasn't thinking about him at all, didn't care for them. They didn't even know he existed. He's a total stranger to them. He becomes the guardian for her and her brother. And, you know, he kinda, he, you know her father's fighting this entire time to get custody of those kids, but the courts just see his stepfather who really doesn't have any legal rights um, if anyone um, is thinking about that or didn't at where she lived at the time where she lived. But this man picks her and her brother up. They're supposed to go live with him, and he dumps her off to an abusive foster mother. And after that, it's just foster hell from one home to another, being physically and sexually abused. Um, You know, as the story unravels, he sees she's working as a prostitute. She gets involved in gang life. She gets shot, like, a few days her 16th birthday. Dr. she may not be able to walk again. Um, you know, um, she got herself legally emancipated. At this time, she reunites with her stepfather, who, you know, does everything that he can to keep her on the straight and narrow and rebuild her life and make up for all the abuses that she went through in foster care, even though, like I said, none of this is his fault. But, you know, she finally turns her life around after getting shot. Um you know, even when she was working as a lawyer as a lawyer, she battled drug addiction but she did, you know, pull herself up by her bootstraps, get herself into college, get herself into law school and finally get herself into rehab and, you know, the story has an amazing silver lining. Could be when you think of a child going being abused and philosophers or something like that and then ending up on the streets, prostituting, gangs, drug addiction, you're never going to think, oh, this person is going to end up being a lawyer and making something of their lives. You think, oh, tragic, you know, it's another tragic black youth story, but it isn't. Um, And, you know, the story has an amazing silver lining. It's kind of like finally the ultimate underdog story, um, which I loved. And I think A Piece of Cupcake... A Piece of Cake is an amazing memoir, and Cuffcake Brown is a very, very talented writer. Now, if her talent extends outside of memoirs, I don't know because it's the only book she's ever read, but it's better than most books that people who've written several books have read, have written. So i got to give her kudos for that. Highly recommend that you guys read that book and check it out because it's definitely worth a read. Okay, cool.
3: I feel you on that. I like that.
4: Do we have any callers on the line?
3: Yes, we do, in fact. And uh, let's take it on in. Sim Sim Five. What's up?
2: What? Sorry. Hello? Hello. Hello. Who's Speaking. Hi, this is Ross.
4: This is who? Hey. Ross. Hi. Ross. Hey. I just oh, uh, a... called into the show. Okay.
2: I just started listening to the show. I just uh, called into the show. Oh.
4: Thank you so oh. much. Mm-hmm. Would you like to tell us oh, who okay. your favorite author and book
2: is? You know, I was just thinking the other day, I wonder if are some good books out by some black authors. And then I just happened to see this program today. I don't know. Let's see. The last book I read was um, Holy Ghost Corner and that was by Bowman of Bowen B O W E N i forget her first name it was
3: uh it uh, was the name of it again
2: holy ghost corner
3: okay cool holy ghost
2: cool, corner cool. mhm she um, also wrote that. uh church folks oh okay 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 mm-hmm. holy
4: ghost corner by Michelle Andrea Bowen
2: Mhm, mhm, and she also uh, wrote uh, church folk. Also funny, funny. I I heard those
3: little... I I think I heard I think I saw the name when I was researching a few a uh, few books for myself to read and everything. So I I haven't read any of the books though. I you know I, I think that uh they m- might be good. recommends. Yeah, the, both those
4: books uh, are
2: funny.
3: A comedy, yeah, what? I see you know that you know I, I, that might I, be interesting too. so i have I have no
4: clue what either of
3: those books are about, so you guys will have to fill me in well i, I haven't read either but I, you know, it sounds like it might, you know if it's funny, I mean, it might be interesting to re- read you know, so i mean I'm more, you know because I, I I like a little bit of levity myself you uh you um, oh, no. hold you, on, have One you read second. both of
2: those. Books? Uh-huh, I've read both of those books. Oh, uh, let's see. The first book, Church Folk, was um, basically she was just describing some of the themes that happened at uh, church, you know, more like a Baptist church. It was very funny. I mean, it had a storyline to it, uh, but it uh-huh. was very funny. And um, uh, let's see. The second book, Holy Ghost Corner, it kind of seemed like it kind of had the same theme or uh, the same kind of rhythm as the first book. The only thing did a little bit different from that was it wasn't uh, – it was things that wasn't – out. it wasn't in the church itself. It was kind of like outside of the church. So both of those
4: books were pretty good and funny, very funny. I, I need to look that up because I need some coffee in my life. And honestly, I've never read any books by any black author that I would ever label as funny.
3: yeah. Yeah, you uh, um, you um, you gonna check them out?
4: Yeah, I think I am.
3: Cool, cool.
4: Well, thank you for your call, Roz. You gonna
3: hang
2: on the line? Thank and, I'm so to so more?
4: Hold on, one moment. Can I? How do you spell your name again?
2: R O Z. Z is in zebra. Okay.
4: Cool. Roz.
2: Okay. Now, what books? I, I missed the show um, because I had just tuned in. But uh, what books did uh, do you guys
4: recommend?
2: Because um, I missed I that part a few. Of the show.
4: I miss. I, I recommended a few. I recommended um, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas, mm-hmm. Click Clack, that's K-R-I-K-K-R-A-K, um, Click Clack by Edwige Dante and I recommended A Piece of Cake by Cupcake Brown.
3: Okay. That's hilarious. I also recommended uh um LA Banks, Tana Review and um uh, uh Octavia Butler. And on, on, Hold on one to, second, uh, my
2: pen just stopped writing. Hold on, one quick second. Okay. Let me try that again.
3: Octavia Butler. Okay. Yeah. LA Banks and Tana Review mm-hmm. is uh and um and an addendum to uh, what um Emily just mentioned was would be uh, mm-hmm. uh on the and the, Alexander Dumas would be the uh the Man in the Iron Mask that was pretty good as well.
2: Oh okay. These are recent mm-hmm. books that just came out.
4: Uh, uh, no 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 uh, no. The couple of the Crystal. None none of none of the books that I mentioned are recent except mm. oh there's one more I forgot um, um the Darkest Child by Dolores Phillips. It's probably the newest of the books that I mentioned, and it was published in 2005. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay.
2: Perfect.
3: All right. Well, thank you for calling in.
2: Thank you.
4: All right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, Mario, who's next on your list? Syracia
3: Glass. And um, I'm telling you now, uh, this is also another book that's come out very recently. It's another saga involving a a strong black female heroine facing down evil, you know. And I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis is that uh, um, she's basically just, you know, uh, a fighter against darkness and evil, you know what I'm saying, Um, against these evil beings called the the Shepard shadow beings you know the fallen spawns of chaos who fought in the first battle of the upper echelon demons gods and goddesses who sow discord and chaos both light and shadow use avatars in order to have a physical presence in this dimension and so you, you it, it it gets pretty it gets pretty interesting and i'm not going to spoil too much of it because uh i want you to you know check it out for yourself because you you got this this person who's um who's called the Shadow Chaser who is ch- pretty much her job is to defeat you know, to to uh de- defeat these this evil and whatnot. And um it gets you know, it gets interesting and heavy. If you're in, a, in into um paranormal romance though, um, and stuff that take it to a whole nother level. There are several books that I read that have not only C- S Glass but um, L.A. Banks and then a few others in it. One of those books is called Creeping, and um, these these books take paranormal romance and put a um, a, uh, a, a very very good para- uh, very good sexual twist on it. It's, if you like books with some sex in it, man, you know what I'm saying? Man, this is one in which uh, uh, I can't believe I can't remember if this this book uh, or not, but. Uh, does one in which this woman is every night being um pretty much uh to use a very uh, 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 a very vocal term, dipped down by a uh, incubus. And the way it ha- the way you're saying it and it's just imagining this woman, you know, in the throes of passion by an invisible being is is pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, man. So um and then you also had she's also um, in, that was an anthology. that was an anthology series because it's different, the East, different authors with different stories. They were pretty good. And um, you have Vegas Bites, another anthology series, but each and each story connects with the other one. And this is about a, a group of uh, werewolves who who, uh, who reside in Vegas who have to deal with the rigors to run the business as well as deal with other paranormal Paranormal issues and stuff. So, Um, yeah, you might want to throw
1: that.
4: I think I will. All right, the next author on my list is Sharon M. Draper. Um, She is an educator, and she's an award-winning author. She writes YA fiction um, YA's young adult fiction. She writes specifically for um teens and preteens. And she's had a few amazing award winning books including, um, Darkness Before Dawn, The Battle of Jericho is one mind. Uh, man, there's so many books that she read that she wrote um there's Romeo and Julio. It's a it's kind of like a twist on breathing into the phone. It's a twist on phone. It's a twist on Romeo and Juliet, except you have Romiette and Julio, who are a black girl and um, a Hispanic boy. Double Dutch. She um, uses... What? Juliet. Romiette and Julio.
3: <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs> Forged by Fire. I read that one. It's amazing. Tears of a Tiger, amazing. And it's actually... um. Um, you know, on those two books I tied. But the best book that I feel she's ever written was published in 2006, and it's called Copper Sun. This is a perk of working at the library. I worked at the library at the time, so when all the new stuff came in and all the books came in with their shiny new covers, the glistening, and, you know, that kind of really stiff, like a that's never been open, and they smell, that new book smell. Oh, my God. Okay, flashbacks. um. This book, um, Copper Sun, won the Coretta Scott um, King Author Award, and it's incredible. The story um, is a story of a young girl named Amari, and she it's a slave story, but it's a slave story written for teens, so keep that in mind. Um, it takes place in 1738 during the time of the slave trade, and she lives in a small African village. And she's got this little brother, Quasi, and life is beautiful. She's 15 years old. She's engaged to this guy that she really likes. He's 17. His name is Besa. Life is beautiful. Then she and pretty much everyone in her village who isn't killed is taken into slavery. And, um, you know, on the ship, she's lucky to escape being raped. The man that, that is on the ship with her, um, he's one of the ship hands. He's taking this line of work because um, he's broke, but um, he tries to help her. I guess the only way that he feels he can help her, which is to try to teach her some English while she's on the ship. So even though she still can't speak or anything like that, he gets her to the point where she understands some basic phrases. Um, You know, he pretends to rape her every night, like, you know, like, she, she screams for quite some time while she's in his cabin every night so that the other men on the ship think that she is being raped, I guess. Um, but then things get difficult, even more difficult the moment she gets off the ship. And she gets off the ship, she gets um, put at the slave market. Um, she and her best friend... Um, and a woman that she met on the ship was kind of like a mother to her because her own mother was, died in the capture. They are sold, and she is sold to a plan, plantation owner um, called Mr. Derby. He actually buys her as a birthday present for his 16-year-old son. Um, and so on the way to the plantation, that's when she meets Polly. Polly is um, an indentured servant. So she's white, and she's a woman, and being a woman was hard at the time, but you think she gets some white privilege, but no, poor Polly is an indentured servant, and because her parents were so broke and so indebted when they died, um, Polly's an orphan. Her indenture is not the normal seven years. It's 14 years. So at 15, that would mean that Polly's 29, and at that time too old to to find a husband and have children by the time her indenture is over. And the two of them kind of distrust each other. Like, Amar obviously doesn't trust white people at this point. And Polly is racist, um, like, unfortunately, a lot of poor whites were at the time. She saw slaves as being the problem and not the people who kept getting and buying the slaves as the problem. But the two of them, you know, they develop an understanding and eventually a very tentative friendship Um Mars kind of thrust into this household and you know, she has she's she's horribly sad and depressed because of her relationship with Clay, the master's son, you know, he changes her name to Mina and like it's basically a play on mine, on the word mine. Um, because like I said, his father buys him buys her as a present. And, you know, she's raped, she's beaten, things like that. And she makes friends with Heaney, who is the house cook, um, and everything's well and dandy, but the story really kicks off around the time we find out that the master's young new wife is pregnant, and it comes out later in the course of the story that um, the father is not, like, when she gives birth, you know, um, let me backpack a little bit, because I'm giving spoilers, but the story is worth the spoilers. Read it anyway. (laughs) Um, The master's wife had been having some trepidation the entire time of her pregnancy, and no one knew why. But then the night that she's about to give birth, her husband's away, by by the way. She calls on Amari and Polly and Teenie to help her give birth. And that's when she tells them, you know, I'm really, really worried. And then she has the baby, and it, they finally she finally has to tell the truth that this child isn't the child of her husband, but it's obviously a black child, and the child is the son of her servant, of her slave. She has this male slave who she grew up with, and she convinced her husband to let her bring the slave with her when she moved into his home and they got married and whatnot. But it turns out that... She's been. She's in love with this man. They're in love with each other. They've been in love for years. And so the three girls don't know what to do. They know that the master is going to kill her for this. They hatch a plan like, you know, one of the slave women will raise this child or something, and we'll just tell the master it was a stillborn. Now you know how that ends, right? Obviously. Mario?
3: Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah,
4: obviously they they this plan goes awry and um the master decides that he's going to punish everybody involved. He he's he can't spare his cook but he'll punish her by selling her son. Um, you know, he he'll sell Amari to a plant, a plantation because she's not doing plantation work right now, but a place where she would be doing that. Um, and You know, Polly's not a slave, but he owns her indenture, so he decides he's going to sell her indenture to a whorehouse in Louisiana. And, again, her indenture is 14 years. So, obviously, everyone has a reason now to want to escape, and it's when they try to liberate themselves, when they realize, hey, things have always been horrible, but maybe we didn't realize how horrible they were, and we should do whatever we can do to get, escape the situation, and that's when the story really picks off. And again, I really love the way that the story is is written and the way the characters of both Amari and Polly are portrayed because they are teenage girls, and they think like teenage girls, but they're going through something that no teenagers in the current society have to go through because of the position they're in in life and the era where they're living and the region where they're living. And I love how um, Sharon Draper is able to portray the very worst aspects of slavery without crossing that line and making it something that is too graphic for teenagers to read. So I definitely recommend that book, "Copper Sun" by Sharon Draper. Read that book like, it'll change your life." Like oof, like. Cool. Like it revolutionized the way that I thought about indentures because you really don't see indenture, indentured servitude as being like slavery light is what I started referring it to after I read this book because that's what it is. It's slavery light. And the only way it's better than slavery is the fact that only white people could be an indenture. And if you run away, you have a better chance of not getting caught and brought back or having your indenture sold because they did, they did post you know, runaway signs for runaway indentured servants. That was the only aspect of indentured servitude that was better than slavery is that you were white, you got a chance to get away, and you could walk along the roads at night without people being suspicious of you. That is if they haven't seen the wanted posters.
5: Yeah, yeah. That's,
3: that's very informative. I might need to check that out myself.
4: Yeah, it was awesome book, awesome book. Do we have any callers? Yeah,
3: no, New, new, no, new. No, no, no. You know it's funny that, but uh, when I look in the art, when I look at the stats, it's gonna say like a hundred people, full five hundred people listening, and everything. So they're shy. Know. <laughs> Maybe they're
4: yep. shy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's you normal know how it goes, man. Don't you be know, shy, you guys. Goes.
4: We won't bite. I promise. I mean, I would, but I can't through the phone. Can I? <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, and you know, and um, I mean, I'm, I kind of, you know, I, I enjoy it when we have a good caller. You know what I'm saying? For the rest yeah, of I y'all, do. Scorpion says it best. Get
4: over here!
3: Don't so forget, show. Still, our
4: our second winner our second winner for this um, tonight's giveaway is still yet to be chosen. That's going that person will be chosen at random, and right now, Roz is going to be the winner by default. So you guys should probably call in and win some awesome secular shirts from Compass One Twenty. Yep,
3: yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I'm gonna post some on Facebook in a little bit. We got like uh, got almost thirty five minutes left for the show. So you know, um, I like how when I post a link, a lot of people like it. Uh, you know, I don't know what their pity likes what. Anyway, I don't know. So, um, um, I guess the next book I'm gonna talk about is gonna be something that is actually non nonfiction for change. I know, I know, I know, I know. It just you know, it's nonfiction. You know, what can you do? It means it's reality and shit. Ugh. Anyway, the book is called Godless Americana. And uh, this was sent to me by my good friend, the lovely Kim from Black Free Thinkers. Thank you, Kim. Yay. And Hold on, how come <laughs> I
4: didn't get a copy, Kim. I'm feeling some kind of way about that.
3: <laughs> and I'm I'm probably gonna murder her name, you know, but it's Sikivu H- Hutchison, and Kim she has written this. Yeah, and she's written a, <laughs> written a lot of books, you know, um, tackling. Um, um social and race issues and stuff. And she's uh she's well known among the uh, um especially African American, you know, um, atheist community and whatnot. Um so I think she's well known well known and um um uh, if you're on the west coast you should check out Black Skeptics of Los Angeles and um hook up with them and you know check out their, their sites and whatnot because they do a lot of social things and like a lot of social, not just important things for the community, including like, I believe there was a scholarship that they had going on and, um, for, for kids and stuff. And it just, it's not just t- your typical black, because not a lot of black groups don't survive very long. And this one is going strong and it has a lot of good momentum and potential behind it. So, um, I'm just going to read you, read you the quick synopsis because I feel that's the best way to explain it than to have me rattling on and stumbling on my, own, on my own words like I just did. I guess it's a thing about big lips or something. Anyway,
0: <laughs> um,
3: in Godless Americana, author Sikivu Hutchison challenges the myths behind Americana, images of mom, apple pie, white picket fences, and racially segregated, God-fearing Main Street USA. In his timely essay collection, Hutchison argues that the Christian evangelical backlash against women's rights, social justice, LGBT equality, and science threatens to turn the clock back on civil rights, civil and human rights. As a result of this climate, more people of color are exploring atheism, agnosticism, and free thought of Godless Americana examines these trends, providing a groundbreaking analysis of faith and radical humanism politics in an era of racial, sexual, and religious warfare. And I, I, I think that you know we need to get down to all that because, you know, the, the you, there are a lot of prominent atheists out there. You're gonna always hear about Sam Harris and, uh, um, Christopher Hitchens and others like that, but you don't really hear a lot from People who are closer to our to the ordinary person, the person out there who is writing these books and is it going on world worldwide circus and being quoted all the time. I, I think the book was a uh, you know had, had some good information, especially if you um, especially when it comes to black women, you know, because it, it, it talks about a lot about uh, uh, on the struggles that black women had to face, and also tackle tackle a lot of uh, a lot of the um the um ideas associated with uh, religion especially in in, in um with uh, regards to um black people especially late sex sex you know sexual identities and, you know gender you know i mean it's no secret that um um well I probably shouldn't say that but it it really is no secret to me anyway that um um the black women make up a good part of the church and so mm-hmm. um somebody told me that the best way to get black men to be atheists is to convince the women and i don't
0: Probably. i don't know
3: if that's true or not but it just yeah it seems like it seems like something that uh i mean because you know i get into a lot of debates and i get into a lot of debates with a lot of people who are fully full-on conv- convinced of this and a lot of people like one guy told me that um um I got my atheist I got indoctrinated by with atheism from white people and this guy's a Christian do I really need to go into how much of a not um a, uh, of a um piece of ignorance that is do I really need to explain that I'll explain it to him too but I you know I don't want to beat a dead horse um um yeah, I mean, just like embracing, invoking, and bowing down to God have become shorthand for achieving upward, upward mobility. You know, hey, you see that, I mean, look at the movies that we, we were just talking about this earlier. I mean, look at these movies. You, all year, there are very little, very few black movies coming out. If they are, they're comedies. The comedies are this. You're going to laugh about this because you're black. Now we got, you know, the Best Man Holidays coming out and uh, Black Nativity. I am not going to see those movies, especially Black Nativity. You might get me to see Best Man Holiday. I will eat a rotted apple coated in roaches before I go see that movie because, you know. I, wow. You know, this it is Tell us
4: how you really feel, it is, Mario. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is just an annoying thing how tethered Black identity is to Christianity, and you'll see it mm-hmm. in the movies. You see, you see it glaringly in the movies that come out that feature all black casts and stuff, especially the Medea stuff and whatnot. So, um, yeah. So, um, I don't really want to keep rambling on, and take the spotlight away from you, though. There, uh, <laughs> Evelyn.
4: What spot? I don't need the spotlight. I'm good. I'm good in the background. Me? You know, everybody
3: <laughs> Everybody comes to hear you anyway, so it's all, I do I want to hog it. That's
4: not true. <laughs> that's not, I'm sure that's not true. We all love you, Mario. Seriously. <laughs> um. All right, the next uh, – we don't have any calls right now, do we? Nope. Yeah, Rob is winning this. Um, Rob, if you're still um, listening, please um, call us back with your last name so we can send you a message on Facebook and we can get your information because you are the second winner of the Compass 120 giveaway. Again, yes, Roz, if you are listening, please call us again. Give us your last name so that we can um, send you an email via Facebook so that we can get your information and give you that shirt from Compass 120. And for everyone who's listening, please go over to Compass 120's Facebook page and just like that. They have amazing shirts. They have amazing deals. And right now they have a holiday promo with awesome secular-themed mugs that you can give to family and friends for the holidays. So do it. Thank you.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Make um, you... to like a Facebook page, you guys.
3: Yeah, and by the time you listen to this, um... In the archives, the getaway would be over, but you know, check, click the link. Um, well, quick, shoot, but just check out Compass One Twenty Apparel. Go to their website. And I'll try to um, i try to include a. Um, no, I can't edit it by now. I'll see if I can edit to put the link into the uh, into the show notes and whatnot, so you can still, if you're listening to this later on, off air, you can still. Get the information you need because they have some really cool shirts. There's really cool. They have a, a lot of really cool stuff on their site, man. And um, and it's a black-owned business. How about yes, that?
4: Yes, black. It's awesome. Um, and right now, um, um, I got word from the owners that Jamila Bay, awesome um, black um, journalist and free thinker, is now a partner of Compass 120 Apparel. So another incentive, go like their page, go like it. And Roz, you are our winner. So please um, call us back or um, leave your um, last name in the chat box so that we can give you a message, send you a message, get your information, and send you your shirt. Um, okay, the next author on my list is Zane. Zayn is an author shrouded in mystery. We know that Zane is a she. We know that Zane is a pen name. We know that Zane is black. We know that Zane resides in the U.S. We don't know anything else about Zane except that Zane writes the most toll curlingly good black erotica. Now, growing up as a very sheltered cafe teen, the only way that I, quote-unquote, saw sex was not on television, but in books. I started reading Harlequin romance novels when I was like 10, and then I quickly graduated to flat out erotica, which is basically a romance novel without pretending that there's anything romantic going on.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: um, and Zane wrote some crazy good stories. Like right now, I feel like she's fallen off. Like she, she, she peaked too soon, or she, she kind of left it all out in her early work, and I feel like some of the sex scenes have been, you know, done over and over and over again, no pun intended, but her books are incredible. Um, I wish, like, I you don't know, this is a TMI moment, but I wish every porn was as well done as her books are well done. Like, they're great. <laughs> the sex is amazing. I wish... I think that if every couple on earth had sex the way that sex is portrayed in her books, there'd be no infidelity. There'd be no divorce. There'd be no war. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, yeah, um, there's not even one book that I can recommend to you guys. I'd recommend one, just one. Um, It would be Dear G-Spot. So, yeah. (laughs) That's someone on my list. Who's the next author on your list?
3: Okay. Um, um. You know what? You know what? What I'm gonna do? I'm gonna backtrack and add another book to my um, oeuvre, right quick because um, um. It was a it's a book that, that that really um struck a nerve with me, that uh, you know I'm. Y'all are probably tired of hearing me rant all about fiction, but I, I can't help it, man. So anyway, I know. There's this is I
4: love fiction. <laughs>
3: um, there was a book that I read, you know, and um, you know, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into when I started reading it, okay? And kind of find out this was a uh, uh, a uh, um, a book written by Fiona Zetti, who is a uh, um who she, I, I believe she's I believe she's lesbian and um but you know so the book involves lesbian vampires in Jamaica
4: lesbian um, vampires in Jamaica hold on pause and just let me like let me marinate in that for a minute lesbian <laughs> vampires in Jamaica like that one Awesome enough knowing that Jamaica has criminalized homosexuality just takes that up to another level. Lesbian vampires, Jamaica. Let me just let me let me let that sink in from there. Let it marinate.
3: <laughs> okay, tell
4: us about this book, please.
3: Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really not really much because uh, you know, most of it takes it starts off in Jamaica and they end up in Alaska, but this girl's a part of a of a clan, uh, she became, she joins a clan of uh, uh black, a uh, black vampire lesbians, and what follows mm-hmm. is just a lot of good, a lot of good lesbian sex. You know, I think there's leaving a little fisting thing mentioned in one of the one of the segments. Uh, oh my! my. <laughs> yeah, man. You see how
4: big my eyes are right now.
3: Man, uh, look, you know, I, I, I was looking for something, you know, because like I said, I'm into a lot of this uh, uh, paranormal um, sci-fi and whatnot for black, black authors, and it just, it was just hot, man. It was just, it was just really hot. It was, I, I couldn't believe what I was reading because I'm like.
4: Sounds hot to me too, you know. but then again, it's 85 degrees here right now. Maybe that's what it is.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, that's another thing, though, is that, well, For all the stuff I read and all the stuff that we've mentioned, this is the only book I've read that involves uh, um, uh, um, elements of the LGBT community and everything like that, you know, because you, you get a lot of stuff from, uh, you see a lot of stuff, especially in the paranormal romance category, it's always, almost always a man and a woman, especially on the cover, this big Hot looking some bitch with this uh, with this woman and throws a passion and everything like that. So I don't really I haven't really saw um, a lot of things in the way of referencing anyone from the LGBT community. Um, even you know, I just you know I don't see, I mean, you, you know how black people are about that, how funny they are about that shit, man. So to read this and this, not only does it include lesbians, but vampires and you know, it even had a pretty good, decently written, pretty good agency scene written into it, and I'm like, "This is pretty cool," and it made me have to go buy some more lube. So, check it out. It's Fiona Yay.
4: Zetti, by the way. Fiona Zetti?
3: <laughs> Yep.
4: Okay. Um, my, well, I think I, I think this is be my last one because we have about twenty minutes left. Um, My -hmm. favorite is The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Um, Now, we have a lot of Toni Morrison fans, but, um, you know, she's one of those people I feel that she she didn't reach notoriety for no reason. There's a very good reason why she's so popular in the African-American community. And The Bluest Eye is one of those great books, because it doesn't just cover being poor and black in the south and dealing with racism and jim crow it also covers colorism within the african-american community this girl picola is dark and she's called skinny and ugly and all this other stuff and she sees blue eyes as being the epitome of whiteness and thus being the epitome of beauty, and she she drives herself half crazy in the quest to get blue eyes, and the people around her finish the job. Um, like just one of the worst um, environments I've ever read of a child being reared in, some of the most despicable adults that have ever been portrayed in fiction, and you know. To think all of this could have been avoided if someone had just told this girl, one person in her family had said to her, you're not ugly. It's not, it's, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you're dark. You don't need blue eyes. Um, and the story kind of devolves. Um, we deal with rape. We deal with incest. But at the heart of its matter, the story is a story about societally accepted and gendered and promoted self-loathing, and I definitely think it's a story um, which at its core is so relevant to so many issues going on in pretty much any society um, containing people of color. I definitely think The Bluest Eye is a must, must, must read. So that's... My recommendation: Check out *The Bluest Eye* by Toni Morrison. And as Ayanna mentioned earlier, um, another great book by um, Toni Morrison is *Beloved*. So check that out as well. It is a bit harder to read than *The Bluest Eye* because it's graphic, it's violent, it's it's just painful on a lot of a, a lot of topics. But if you can deal with it, that is another one that I highly recommend that you guys read. So, Mario, what's the next one? Hold on. Do we have a caller first? Do we have a caller? Let
3: me yeah. that
4: All right. What's your next pick, sir?
3: All right, man. That, this will probably be the last one. Go ahead and get rid of shutter on down there, yeah, man. Um, All right.
4: And, Rob, please is... do call us back sometime while Mario's talking right now. If not, then... Um, the other shirt is just gonna have to go to Ayana, like the first one wasn't going to. But <laughs> um, yeah. since she was on that line with him, it's only fair. Um, I'm just gonna
3: spotlight an author. You know, Brandon Massey. Um, he's written quite a few, quite a few stories, and um, they span different types of uh, they span a few uh, genres. Uh, some of them are um. You know thriller, you know crime and everything like that. Um, um, but he has a pretty good, um, uh, he has a pretty good archive of books, man, and he's done um several um anthologies with uh, the likes of uh, uh, um Zane, Tyler Reeve-Dude, mm. Stephen Barnes, and others. You know. Uh, this is Dark Dreams, a collection of horror and t- suspense by Black writers. You know, it has quite a few tales in it. There's The Ancestors, uh, The Voices on the Other Side. Um, this one featuring also Tendre Redou and L. A. Banks and Eric Jerome Dickey. You know, I don't know if you're familiar familiar with him as well. And um, it, it just you know it just it's really good that you see. A, a uh, uh, an, uh, an author, an African American author, that is not only writing in different genres, but collaborating with other Black authors in the in his genre, showing you that these books are out there, these authors are out there, they're, they're out there. You just have to search for them, and they're not they're not still not like Stephen King, but they're still creating good stories, like Twisted Tales. You know, this one is um um. Uh, another collection of stories you know um by Brandon Massey, and I think it's a collection of short stories um that he has written himself and whatnot um um cornered um i i've been had meant to, to buy this one I didn't get around to it but um you know basically this is another you know, situation in which his family is being threatened by some um 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 Horrible events going on in their lives and everything like that. He has to watch as his family and his livelihood is being torn down. You know, wow. And it's yeah. So I mean, there are these authors out there. You know, I've listened several to fantasy and sci-fi because I enjoy losing myself in a created world. Because you know, yeah, reality is always there, but. Just I enjoy that. I really enjoy that. And Emily's listened to quite a few um, authors as well. These, you know, these authors are out there. They're they're probably not selling out like Stephen King and whatnot, but they're out there. And there's so many uh, other authors of so many generations. I mean, uh, genres and everything. You don't have to read stuff that makes you want to cry your eyes out and or wish you had never put, imprinted this stuff in your mind. But if you want to if you want to venture out venture out into fantasy, they're out there. I mean you got you know, uh Ten and has a great catalog of books that um that take on a lot of uh uh elements of of, of um African and or um uh Caribbean Jamaican um um mysticism and I mean Haitian mysticism and you know uh, uh fantasies and stuff like that. And it's just you know like uh, the the between and Joplin's ghost, you know, you, you're dealing with um, uh, um, so many different aspects that are just really incorporated great into these books, and you know that um, if you read them, you know you're going to identify with them. You're going to identify with some of these books because they they're coming from a common heritage. So. Uh, May you want to stock your little shelf.
4: Definitely. Put that there. All right, it's been a great show, you guys. Tim and Ayana, congratulations on um, your win. And we, Mara and I, had so much fun. We wish you guys would stop lurking and call in. But tsada tsada, and we will be back in two weeks interviewing the one and only Ayana Watson, the founder of Black Atheists of America. It's going to be an amazing show. So well,
3: I hope you guys tune into that. Yeah, man, and you know, as always, you know, you got your different shows here. Uh, we have a smattering of uh, different shows to keep you interested, to keep you entertained and informed. Kim's show normally airs at 1 p.m. Eastern Sunday, and she normally takes on a, a, a very uh, involved uh, um, topics of race, religion, and social um, social issues. And Raina's RSS feed is normally heard on Saturdays. Vita um, Stars, uh, um, why do I always forget the Rita name Star of that
4: program? On Blast. Yeah. It's every other Thursday, which means it will be. it will be it this week, so it's going to be two weeks from now. And that is at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's every other Thursday. And we also have the breakbeat. Um, the Breakbeat is on, I believe, Tuesday evening yeah. with MC yeah. Books. Yeah. So tune right. into that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Check out the Black Freethinkers Facebook page to keep the update of what shows are coming on and when. Like I said, we'll be back in two weeks, December 6th, interviewing Ms. Ayanna Watson, founder of Black Atheists of America, and that's going to be an amazing show.
3: So I hope you guys tune into that. Man, I must be getting old or something. You've had to tell me that like the last four shows or some shit, man. I mean, Aww, all I'm poor I'm thing. Poor thing.
4: Well, Let me get it, your prune juice? <laughs> but anyway.
3: Y'all, uh, next week is Thanksgiving, so you enjoy a safe Thanksgiving and enjoy your food and get all fat and nasty and whatnot needed for the next week and shit. You know what I'm saying? Um I gotta work on Thanksgiving, so I hate all of y'all. But same time, be safe and enjoy it. enjoy your weekend, and we are out
0: awesome.
1: Thinkers, where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night. Free thought. we don't walk by space in a lost mind state cause it's not quite safe. We don't recruit, we're not peers from a church. So don't be spooked, we're not here to convert. The only truth that's not pulled from a text, show me proof that's not good after death. This is the challenge to think for yourself. Break it out of the bottle and speak with your belt.
2: (laughs) Don't. concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory
0: so why did you kill my teacher then why did you kill my
5: teacher